Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome to Season 7 of the HBG Bible Talks podcast, and we are going to be shifting gears a little bit from our regular walk through the text method and we're going to try doing an overview of the old testament this season and so thank you for your patience with us as we kind of adjust our our methods um but we've been thinking about uh doing a little bit more text and kind of you know we'll stop here and there to make some observations we will read portions of the text but um, hopefully this will give you an outline to do your own reading um, and to kind of dig deeper into the text on your own time, but to give, again, kind of a flavor, a direction, an overview, because it can be easy, especially in the Old Testament, to get kind of lost in the weeds. And sometimes doing a kind of a thousand-foot flyover gives us a good uh, compass with which to navigate the, the text. Yeah, so we do want to stick to our bread and butter, which is just simple, focused Bible reading and discussion from God's Word, as it says in our tagline. And so bear with us as we try to strike this balance of, of looking at the overview as well as getting into the text and seeing what it has to offer us. Yeah. So we are going to be doing the Old Testament. And it may be helpful just at the outset to say a word about what that means. Yep. Uh, the Bible has two big parts. If you open up your Bible, you'll see a table of contents. And sometime right before Genesis 1, it will have this page usually that says, the Old Testament. Yeah. Normally in like fancy letters and font. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And you're like, okay, that's cool. What's that? Yeah. Uh, well, the word testament um, is really just another word for covenant. Um, I kind of wish we called it the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. That would probably be easier a little bit. But God works in human history in different ways at different times. Yeah. And we're going to be starting out in the book of Genesis talking about kind of a, a first time frame, a first time period where God is working with the heads of households, um, with the fathers of the families. And um, that's not the way God's always going to specifically work with right. people. Um, we'll see something different in the book of Exodus all the way through the book of Malachi, which is really that covenant with Israel, a particular nation. And so when we say Old Testament, we're kind of referring to the old way that God interacted yeah. with people. And maybe another helpful way to put that as you think of the words testimony and covenant or testament and covenant is words, right? It's God's words. Um, when you think about someone giving a testimony, they're giving their word about something. And that's kind of how you should see what we call the Old Testament. It was God's word and agreement with the people back in that history and back in that day and age. And like Stephen said, the, the way that those agreements and covenants work will change throughout the history of God and the people he interacts with. And it is quite a bit different um, in a lot of ways from what we see in what we call the, the new word or the new testament or new covenant or, or whatever have you. Um, and so especially early on in the book of Genesis, um, the only way people knew who God was and the way they did God would communicate with them was directly, uh, which is so far, obviously, from where, where we understand God now, where we read his words. In Genesis, he's talking directly with folks, um, which is super cool to think about. Yeah. And another way to think of the Old Testament is 
before Jesus. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that's a good way. Yeah, this is way just a yeah. super simple way of saying, this is all the stuff that happened. This is the, the prequel uh, to, to Jesus coming. Jesus is the one who's going to bring a new covenant or a new testament. And guess what? You don't understand the sequel as well if you haven't seen the prequel. That's and, right. And, and so a lot of what we're going to be seeing through this Old Testament overview, and Stephen and I are going to be quick to point it out when we see it, is looking at Jesus. Um mm-hmm. Even as early as Genesis 3 that we're going to talk about today, you see a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he's going to do on earth. That's right. And if someone's just picking up a Bible for the very first time, I do recommend that people start with the New Testament. Yes. And start with one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But the thing is, if you pick up the book of Matthew and you start reading the very first chapter, it talks immediately about Abraham the Old Testament. and David. <laughs> and if you haven't read the prequels, so to speak, you don't know who Abraham is. You don't know who David is or why they're important and significant. And so we need the whole Bible. We need the Old Testament to fully understand the New Testament. And we certainly need the New Testament to know that we're not still under the Old Testament, uh, the Old Covenant. So that's kind of a big picture thing as we get into the Old Testament, and um, we're going to start in the book of Genesis. It is where the story of humanity and God begins, and uh, that's what the word Genesis means. It means beginning. So let's read uh, the beginning of God's Word, Genesis chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 5. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day. All right. A lot to unpack there, just from the very beginning of of the text. (laughs) Um, But chapter 1, verse 1 of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot we can learn about who this God is right there Mm -hmm. in verse 1. The first thing you learn about God. Yeah, is he's the creator. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing God does is he creates the heavens and the earth. And... It'll get into more specifics about that as the text goes on, because um, I think you're overwhelmed almost like, wait, how do you, how does one just like make the heavens and like make right. the earth? And that's kind of what you're supposed to come away with is that you're so not God. Like you were you so far from this creator, he's able to do things that you are not able to do. That's the whole idea of him being the creator and us being the creation. That's right. And, and it's so important that we realize where we came from. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of competing philosophies in the world about human origins, uh, how we came to be, what a human really is. And we need to know where we came from. Um, I mean, if we're going to deal with any kind of thing that we make, or that humans make, I mean, one of the things that is important is like, is there an instruction manual? What did the manufacturer say about how this thing is designed to work? Because if you don't use it according to its intended function, you're going to break it. You're going to mess it up. And how are humans manufactured? How, how right. are we built to run? Because if we don't understand that, 
we're going to we're going to mess we're going to break ourselves. Yeah. We're, we're going to mess up this life that we're living. And so, from page one of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth, and God created humans. Uh, this is going to be the story of who we are um, relative to God. And so, if we if we get this wrong, we're going to mess up a lot of other things. Uh, but if we get this right, it sure will help a lot of other things as well. Yeah, exactly. The other thing we learn about God right here in verse one is that He's eternal. Um, which is important to see in the beginning, God, right? I mean, it's just, there was no beginning of God, but there was a beginning of what he created. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we get that just a couple months ago, or excuse me, earlier this month, I celebrated my birthday. Um, and what really is a birthday? It's a celebration of your beginning, right? You're, you're looking back on, well, I started on July 2nd, 1996. And so that's, that's when I began. God doesn't really work that way. <laughs> God always has been and always will be. And from Genesis 1-1, we know that. That's important for us to understand because it puts us in perspective. God is eternal. We are not. That's what makes him God. Yeah. So one of the things we're going to see in the creation account of Genesis 1 is God taking chaos and turning it into order. God creates the heavens and the earth. And it's kind of like creating the canvas. All right. Like the land and the skies. And there's darkness and chaos. Uh, the earth is without form and void. Darkness is over the face of the deep. Apparently there's no land at this point. This is like a ball of water. And he, there's just chaos. Uh, again, formless and void. It's empty and nothing. And now the spirit of God is there. And immediately we're like, okay, God is a spirit. He's not human in the way that we're human. He will later become human in the form of Jesus. But... Um, it's powerful to think about this. This was uh, no form, no direction. You know, this is just kind of the raw canvas. And then God begins by organizing. And God says, let there be light. Oh, isn't that interesting? The very first thing that God, I guess, creates on this canvas is light. Mm-hmm. And you can just insert a lot of the different New Testament books we've studied through right now, or uh, so far up until this point in HBG Bible Talks. Light is a very important concept in Scripture, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, in John 1, it's kind of who Jesus is. He's the light of the world. Um, there is no darkness in him. First John talks about that a lot. And it's kind of notable that we are also supposed to be lights in the world, as Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. And so from the very beginning, God was the one that created that light mm-hmm. um, that's used so many times in Scripture. Yes, and God separates the light from the darkness and says, okay, light over here, darkness over there. <laughs> um, and that's another important thing in scripture is the separation that uh, we're either of the light or we're of the darkness. And so God does that uh, on day one. And um, he uh, calls the light day and the darkness he calls night. God is also going to name some of the things as, as we go through. Um, so day and night is going to become a staple of the rest of this. And it, and it says at the end of verse five, there was evening and there was morning the first day. Um, that's the way the Jews counted time. Uh, they, their day begins at sundown. So evening comes first and then morning comes after that, the daytime. Uh, so the, day one, God yeah. creates light and separates light from darkness. So of course, what's going to happen after this is the rest of the days will follow, but they'll follow in this exact pattern where it will tell us what God made, that those things are good, 
and then there will be evening and morning, a second day, third day, fourth day, so on. So second day, God creates the waters, the sky, and the atmosphere. The third day, he does the sea, the dry land, and the plants. And then what's really cool is you kind of see like a, like almost like a repeat of it happening mm-hmm. in day four. The sun, moon, and stars, the luminaries, in like manner, in day one, he made the day and the night. Day five, the birds and the fish are made, which is cool because on day two, God made the waters, the skies, and the atmosphere. And then in day six, God will create mammals, insects, and man, which are all going to exist on the dry land, which was made on day three. So it's kind of cool to kind of see those uh, that structure that um, the days of creation have with one another. Yeah, so it's like days one, two, and three, he's creating the space for those things. And then days four, five, and six, the next three days, he's filling each of those spaces with what he wants. Um, which is kind of crazy because, I mean, like God creates light before he creates the sources of light. Day one, he, he's got, got the skies. Uh, but then day four, he fills them with the sun, the moon, the stars. All right, here, here's where the light's going to come from, which God, God can do that. Um, he, does, he is light. He's the source of light, but then creates earthly sources. Uh, and again, same thing with day two, day five. And then day three and day six kind of correspond. So it's helpful to read those. And again, to see how organized God is with how he is doing each of these things. Again, we're not going to read all this text. We hope this just gives you a framework to to study this text further. But day six is particularly important because God creates something that is different from all the rest of his creation He's created the skies, the land, the seas, the animals of all different kinds. But in Genesis 1, starting in verse 26, God says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So important that we understand who we are and where we came from. And the thing that sets mankind apart, which by the way, when it says God created man, it's not just talking about males. Obviously, he has male and female here. But man stands for mankind. All of humanity is the idea. That's an important biblical thing to see in general. That's right. Yeah. And we're created in God's image. Nothing else in all creation bears the image of God like humanity does. This is different than the animals. This is different than uh, the rocks and the trees and the skies. Uh, Those are beautiful reflections of God's nature, but they don't bear God's image. Humanity bears God's image. And because they do, their expectations are far different than the rest of creation. Mm-hmm. God's expectation for something or someone that was made in his image is obviously going to be way different than the rest of the animals or tigers or fish that's running around. And that's a high calling to be made in the image of God and then want to be like him. And so uh, there's a separation there between man and the rest of the animals. So in verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, Subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, when God created man, he blesses him. And I think that's an important thing to see from the beginning. God created man for his glory, 
And God takes pleasure in being the creator of the things he's created. God is not there doing this begrudgingly or, or it upsets him to have to do this. From the very beginning, it's clear that he wants to do this for his creation. He wants to bless them and give them good things. And the summary statement in verse 31, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. That's right. When God finishes creation, it's perfect. Right. Six days, everything is complete. It's very good. And then on the seventh day, it's interesting. Um, this is a little bit different from the first six days. Again, those kind of correspond to each other, three days and then three days. And then a seventh day, chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is just an interesting thing. Uh, you got six days and after each day, you got evening and morning, sixth day. You don't have that for this seventh day. It's just, there is a seventh day and in it, God rests and enjoys. Yeah what he's made. It's perfect. It's all doing what it's supposed to do. It is complete. And this is going to kind of set up a pattern that we're going to see in scripture of of sevens, which by the way, this is where we right. get our, our seven-day week from, that right. humans measure things in sevens. And the pattern of seven is going to be so all over scripture. Um, we'll see that kind of throughout. But the idea of working for six and then at the end of the work, there's rest. Right is going to become a pattern in scripture where there, there's things that are hard, there's things that are challenging, which at the beginning, we'll say this in a minute, that work was a blessing. Yes. But still, there's this work, 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 and then rest. Yeah. And that rest is kind of its own almost eternal thing yeah. uh, that, that's, <laughs> that continues forever. And I hope it calls to memory what Jesus said in Mark, the third chapter, that he is Lord even of the... Sabbath or rest is another way to think about that. And Hebrews 4 has a lot more to say about that as That's well. Right. But we're in a period right now of working and we're looking forward to a time of rest. Right. So this is going to be manifested in different times in scripture, sometimes with a literal day where you have to stop working. Um, that was in the old covenant. But there are principles about this seventh day rest that continue into the new covenant. Right. Um, even though we're not bound by the same laws as before, it's um, still something we learn from and that we long for. I mean, we long for rest. And from the very beginning of the Bible, we see God working and resting, and then we will be able to work and rest. Yeah, amen. So now we're going to shift a little bit further into chapter 2, where it, the text really explains a little bit more about what's going on with man and what their specific role was. Uh, it's kind of cool to see the shift between chapter one and chapter two like that. So I think it's gonna be most effective if we just read chapter two, verses 15 through 25. Get mm -hmm. this entire text in to understand what the purpose of man was and a couple other cool things yeah, here. And, and this is kind of a, a zoomed in picture because like you get through the seven days in chapter one, beginning in chapter two, and now we kind of are rewinding a little bit and saying, okay, now, this is a little more attention on what happened on day six. Yeah. What, how did man exactly come to be? There's more detail that chapter right. one left out that now we're going back on. And it's obviously relevant to us. Being mankind ourselves, it's important to see the very beginnings of man. 
So let's read verses 15 through 25. I am reading from the New American Standard Bible. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and we're not ashamed. So God uh, creates mankind here uh, in male and female. We just got like a little preview of that in chapter one, but now we see how all that came to be. And it's interesting the order in which this happens. Yeah. God creates man and puts him in a garden. This is the Garden of Eden. And the Lord says, you should work it and keep it. Um, now, this is before the curses, and I think we see work here as a blessing. Yeah. That this is not toil. Uh, I kind of, in my mind, make a distinction between like work and toil. Uh, work is something that is actually we like doing, we want to do. It's productive, it's good, we feel good when we finish it. Um, whereas toil is like the, oh, I have to do this and it's hard and it's frustrating and things aren't going right and oh, I gotta just count the hours down until I'm finished, you know. This was a productive kind of work that God gave Adam to do. I've created this garden for you here, you know, help the plants, help the animals, like do yeah. good stuff and enjoy it. Um, yeah, I mean, the garden. it's a pretty sweet gig. I mean, you, yeah. get, you get to work in the garden of God. That's a pretty awesome place to get to work. And so, yeah, it was supposed to be a blessing. And um, it seems like Adam enjoyed doing that. That's right. Well, it's really cool to see in the text, though, um, well, before I get there, is that God does give a command to Adam, um, very specific. There's no, like, you don't read this and go, oh, I wonder what God really was asking. Like, it's pretty clear. Hey, you can eat from any tree of the garden, which I think is awesome that God starts that way. Like, hey, look at all these trees. Look at all these good things you can eat from. You can have any of them. But there is one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, that you shall not eat. Because in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. There's one tree Adam and Eve are commanded to stay away from while they're in the garden. You got one rule. Right. Don't break it. Yeah. And uh, as a good friend of ours who teaches on parenting a lot, goes to this text to point out the very first rule, no, no. No, no. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Simple uh, no. Yeah. And I mean, that's we're working with my daughter right now on no, no. And uh, that's really how the first command to man worked is, hey, don't touch that. Stay away from it. There are all these other good things that you can enjoy, yeah. but stay away from this. That's right. Yeah. And I do think here that there's just an important point to be made that God gives mankind a choice. 
that we're not robots. We are not put here with no other choice but to serve God and love him. But he allows a choice. And in just a minute, we're going to see he also allows uh, a serpent and a source of evil to come into the garden. And there's lots of back questions we can ask about that. But the, the baseline is God allows there to be a choice other than himself. And it tests humanity. Will we follow what the Lord said, his simple commands, his good blessings, or will we decide we know better than him right. and we want to choose good and evil and do the thing that God said, don't do that. And there's consequences. Well, if you do, you will surely die if you take of this. And it really does make sense that God does this. I mean, what, what glorifies God more? The idea of just having a bunch of robots that are pre-programmed to do exactly what they need to do or does it glorify God more when we're given a choice and because out of our love and respect for our creator, we choose to do the right thing? Which of those two options glorifies God's more? Well, obviously the latter, when we choose to do the right thing. And so it's not shocking that from the very beginning that God gives man free will and that needs to be seen throughout the entire rest of scripture as well. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning, man's given a choice. That's right. And so that gives way to the first not good statement. Again, the chorus of every day in chapter one was, and it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. And now in chapter two, verse 18, God says, it is not good that the man should be alone. Right. And God creates mankind for fellowship with himself, but also for fellowship with other human beings. Right. This is most true in marriage, but it's not just limited to marriage. Right. Um, God sees it's not good for a man to be alone. We need other people. That's right. And man, if we have not seen that over the last year, um, we need each other. Yeah. And so he creates a helper fit for Adam. Right. And it's kind of interesting the way he does this. He kind of has like, I've always pictured this kind of like a little animal parade. You know, like he brings the animals before Adam and he lets him name the animals. And um, there's not a helper fit for Adam among any of the other creatures that God has made. He's created for fellowship with someone else that is in God's image. Yeah. And what I find really interesting is kind of the timing of when the helper is brought in. It's after God has placed man in the garden to cultivate and keep it. And it's after the command has been given. Two hard things, two things that might be difficult. And so that is when God then says, it's not good for him to be alone. He needs help if he's going to accomplish these two things accountability, help, um, and by the way, when we use the word help, when I say I need help, that denotes something is lacking. I'm not able to complete this by myself. I need someone else. And God recognizes that about man, is that he needs someone to help him in the garden or at least with um, the commandment that he's just given him. So I I like to point that out, just kind of in the flow of the text. I think it's super cool to see. So the point being, when he gives him Eve, She's going to be a helper to him that, that helps him accomplish the tasks that God has given. And that's how we need to see mankind, fellow mankind, whether it be a spouse or whether it just be someone we're close with. We have each other to accomplish the will that the Father or the Creator has given us. That, that's why we have other people on this earth. That's right. And we have the first surgery here. You know, yeah. God puts Adam to sleep when he wakes up. Wow, at last, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Um, And he calls her woman. She's taken out of man. And there's lots of places in the New Testament that reflect on this moment about the role of men and women, that there is a difference between men and women. 
they're both equally created in the image of God. They have equal worth, equal value, equal standing in God's creation. We are to rule over creation together. But there's also differences in men and women right. that are true from these very first pages. We won't go into a whole detail on that. But again, this is the way God created humanity. And when we try to break God's creation and the roles that he's designated and respect the differences that God has created, we're going to get into all kinds of trouble right. when we fail to recognize the way God made things. Right. And what's really cool to me in verse 24, it's kind of the first time in the narrative so far where there's like a break where like it goes from narrative to whoever's recording this, we take it to be Moses, kind of takes a time out to say, okay, by the way, this is why you leave your father and mother and you're joined to your wife and they become one flesh. Mm-hmm. Well, at this point, has there been father and mother? Well, n- no. Yeah, and, and that's okay. It's not, it's not out of place. It actually makes sense that whoever wrote this kind of inserts this understanding that, hey, you are one flesh now. And so for that reason, you need to leave father and mother. And look, as we know, that there's a lot of people who, when they're married, they don't leave father and mother. They don't see it as a one flesh relationship, but it is, it is most fully fulfilled when it's followed in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's how we were created. That's how it's been from the beginning. That's right. And it's also notable in verse 25, the last statement in paradise is the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was nothing to hide at this point. Exactly. There was no shame in the world. Um, it was just man and woman and God and good creation. Nothing was tainted with evil or sin or the brokenness that's about to come into the story. Um, this is the way God wanted things to be. And it was exactly the way he created it to be. It was so good. I mean, even the one not good statement has now been remedied. Man now has someone else with him. And man and woman, male and female, in the image of God, are ruling over creation. And we don't know how long this goes on for. (laughs) Genesis doesn't always give us timestamps. But um, for some amount of time, things were perfect. And if this had been the end, this would be a very short book. Genesis 1 and 2, and that's it. Man and God, forever, together. Uh, But that's not the rest of the story. And enter Genesis 3. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and read chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Stephen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So we're introduced to the serpent. That's the next character in the narrative here. And uh, I'll just say on from the outside, I don't like snakes. (laughs) Snakes. Why'd it have to be snakes? Yeah, and I think it makes sense. I think every human just about has an inherent, like, like, I don't like snakes. And 
maybe it does go all the way back here to Genesis 3. I don't know. But it's described as more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And I don't think it means that in like a positive way. <laughs> like, oh, they were kind of crafty. You know, no, they were evil. They were shrewd is maybe another way to think about that. Yeah. And we also do see that there are spiritual forces at work here. It's not that God just like made a smart snake. Um, <laughs> but we see later on that this is Satan working through this animal. Um, and again, kind of some unique things happening here. But um, he's called that ancient serpent. I mean, even when you get to the other end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we know that there's more going on here than just uh, God made an evil snake. Um, I'll just touch on this here and say that um, putting together other scriptures, we know that Satan is also a created being. He's not eternal like God. He's not deity. But apparently on the spiritual side of creation, God created everything that's visible and invisible. Yes. talks about that in Colossians 1. And Satan apparently is a being, a powerful spiritual being that was created good, but was also given a choice like right. mankind was and chose to rebel against God and become an enemy, an adversary. And he also has power um, within God's power. God is over Satan yes. and limits him. He is not all powerful like God is, uh, but is allowed here into the garden. Right. And I think that's important to see because some people come into the, the biblical narrative with kind of the dualism idea that like, uh, just like any other book or movie or anything else, like there's the good guys and the bad guys and we're just hoping the good guy wins out. No, God is so far above this serpent. And that needs to be understood from the beginning. God allows this to happen to test man. Um, and so they are so far separate from one another. God is so far above Satan. And we see that consistently throughout scripture. Yes. And so, and he is crafty, man. Yes. I mean, the way he twists God's words here, first of all, he, in verse one, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So he starts questioning. He asks a question that plants a seed of doubt in Eve's mind. What, what, what did God actually say? And again, Satan loves deception. He'll take a grain of truth, but then he'll twist it. And you can see Eve kind of like thrown off balance. You're like, wait, what? No, here's what God said. And she pretty accurately comes back and says, no, God said you can eat if any, any tree except for that one tree in the midst of the garden. Right. And you'll die if you eat that. Yeah. Um, so she knows. Apparently right. at, God gave that rule to Adam before Eve was created. But Adam told Eve, hey, we're living in God's world. Here's the one rule. And she understood what the rule was. But then Satan comes back and just adds one word. Verse 4, you will not surely die. Mm -hmm. So he first negates the consequences and says, that's not going to happen to you. Actually, God's holding out on you. And he attacks God's character and says, well, God knows that if you do that, you'll be like him. You'll be wise. You'll, you'll know good and evil. And that appeals to the woman's pride. Um, really all of us. I mean, I think all of us would have done the same thing in this situation. And she sees with her eyes that, oh, it's good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. It'll make me wise. And she takes the bait. And the first sin is committed. They did the one thing that God said not to do. And, I mean, Satan's tactic here, just simply put, is getting her to focus on the one thing God said she couldn't have. Right. And, man, isn't that how he gets this as well? We're surrounded by so many good, holy things that God's given us. But sometimes Satan makes us think that, the one thing we can't have or shouldn't have is what we need. 
Mm-hmm. We need to watch out for that tactic um, because right. w- what happens immediately after this is shame. They've they've committed this ultimate sin against God, and they're ashamed. And for that reason, you see now that they clothe themselves, um, like Stephen pointed out at the end of chapter two, there seemed to have been some sort of innocence between man and woman, as well as man and woman and God, in the way that they were just open. But now they've sewed together these fig leaves to cover themselves up. And we'll go on to learn a little bit that they hide from God. There's shame now involved with the sin that they've committed, which we relate to. We, we think it's what we want and we think it's what we need, but as soon as we get it, we go, ah, this actually isn't as good as I thought it was. That's right. And what we're going to see is that sin, now that sin is unleashed into the world uh, through their free will choice, uh, it's going to kind of almost go in reverse order. And we're going to see things broken that... God had created good. The first thing that's broken is almost their relationship to their own bodies. They recognize that they're naked and they try to hide themselves and it's insufficient what they do. They make loin coverings, but later that's, we're going to find out that's not sufficient. Um, but shame has entered the picture. And then right after that, God just created woman for man, but now immediately with the first sin comes the first blame game. Yeah. Picking up in Genesis 3 verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me. She gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So from the very beginning, um, it is interesting that we see that, that the Lord God walks around in the garden. So there seems to be like this dwelling of God with his creation. Mm-hmm. And they hide themselves from the presence of God while they're in the trees. And it's so interesting to me that God will call out and say, where are you? Mm-hmm. God, God knows where they yeah, are. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, my daughter has recently, we've kind of learned how to play a little bit of hide and go seek. <laughs> and like when she hides, I know exactly where she is, but I'm still, where are you? You know, right. that's what this reminds me of. Why do you think God asks them that? He wants them to, to recognize, Oh, I'm hiding from God. Yes. That's where I am. Yep. I think that's exactly right. God wants them to acknowledge I'm hiding from you for a reason. And uh, so man owns up at the beginning and says, well, I I was afraid because I'm naked. Um, And so I hid myself. And so I heard you and I I needed to hide. And so he recognizes that something's different now. But he's quick to pass the blame. Yeah, you know, who told you that you were naked? Right. Uh, have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to do? Well, and this is economy of words here. The woman that you gave me. Yeah. Two blames in a very short number of words. Yeah. Was well, the woman's fault, and actually, God, it's kind of your fault because you gave me the woman, and she uh, she gave it to me, um, and I ate. So he does say I ate it, but it's the last thing he says. Yeah. And um, the Lord turns to the woman, and says, "What have you done?" And she points the finger at the serpent. To see, he deceived me, and I ate. Um, so, so sad to see already the relationship with God is broken. They are hiding from God now, 
And the relationship between man and woman is broken because they're blaming each other now. They're willing to throw each other under the bus instead of owning up to what they've done. And um, in a minute, we're even going to see their relationship to creation is broken, that the ground is going to be cursed because of, of sin. And now their keeping of the garden, their dominion over creation, and I think in some ways even their relationship with the animals is kind of like messed up with the sin. Just It breaks everything. Um, and it doesn't just affect the person who sinned. Yeah. And so God hands out consequences, starting with the serpent and then woman and then demand. And we want to highlight specifically a part of the curse that God gives to the serpent in chapter 3 in verse 15. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So this is God talking to the serpent. So apparently there's going to be enmity between man, or the, the, the woman at least, and the serpent. And we will see that literally throughout all the days of the rest of history is where there is this constant war between man and the serpent, trying this man wanting to do what's right, but the serpent being there to fight war with them. Then it gets more specific. This enmity is going to be between your seed and her seed. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting about that phrasing is you think about seed as you think about a man, right? That, that, that is the reproductive way it works. That's how we talk about it is the seed. But there's going to be this seed of woman. Yeah. What does that make us think of? Their descendants. Exactly. Yeah. It makes me think of Jesus Christ. He, he was born of a woman, Galatians will say, in chapter 4. And he did not have any earthly father in the sense of the reproductive nature of it. But he was born of a woman. Um, he is the seed of woman that I believe is being talked about here. And there is going to be this war that Jesus has with Satan, where ultimately it will be Jesus who wins out. But it's not going to look like that at first. By all accounts, as people see this war happening, it's going to look like the serpent is going to win. Um, but it's going to be the son of man, Jesus, who as he is bruising the serpent on the head, the serpent's taking a bite out of his heel, making it look like he wins. Yeah, it's kind of this mutual destruction, but one of them is ultimately fatal and the other is not. Uh, you know, a wound on the heel may be really bad. You don't want a snake bite. Right. But him crushing the head of the serpent, that's it. I mean, he deals a fatal blow to Satan and uh, his offspring. And we ultimately see that at the cross. From all accounts, as the world looks at the cross, they say the serpent has won. The seed of the serpent has won. They've killed the Christ. He's dead. But of course, Jesus' death on the cross is what brings life to all of humanity. And then he is resurrected from the dead and then ascends to the right hand of God. And so what looks like the ultimate um, end of the Son of Man is actually just the beginning for the rest of mankind. That's right. And so this is a really profound verse that's super cool to look at. As early as Genesis 3, there was a plan for God to reconcile man together with himself. That's exactly right. So as the first problem, the first sin enters the world, we also have the first prophecy of Jesus. And God knows what's going to happen. And God has a plan to deal with sin. Yep. Um, we're going to see it dealt with in different ways in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. But it's all pointing to Jesus and what he's going to do to fix the problem of sin and to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, all throughout the story, it's going to look like the serpent has the upper hand. That like, man, mankind just can't get it together. God keeps cleaning up their messes and they keep making the mess bigger. 
how is this going to end? How is this going to work out? And it's not until really Jesus comes that we see, okay, there is a final solution Mm -hmm. to sin and death. And um, it's through Jesus. Um, Because death is what enters the picture here. Uh, At the end of this, after he uh, says the woman is going to have pain in childbearing, the man is going to have to sweat and work the ground. It's going to bear thorns for him. Um, The final of the curses says in Genesis 3.19, Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, Death is the consequence of sin. Now, they don't drop dead the minute they eat the fruit, but death has now entered the picture. And really, spiritual death has already entered the picture. They they are exiled from Eden at the end of this chapter. There is separation between them and God because of sin. God is holy. He can't dwell where sin is. And so they are cast out of the garden in Genesis 3, 22 through 24. And what's really interesting, back up just a verse before that, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Stephen mentioned this earlier, the garments they made weren't sufficient. God had to make new ones. And someone pointed out to me once that this was the first sacrifice. I mean, there were animals that had to die in order for garments to be made for Adam and Eve to cover up after a sin. Mm-hmm. And I know that's really small, but it is so big at the same time as you look out mm-hmm. into the rest of of the Old Testament and New Testament as well. Something had to die to cover me. Exactly. And so in verse 22, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and as at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Um, that the dwelling that man had with God has now been interrupted mm-hmm. and it, it's almost even contentious now there, there seems to be a, a larger separation than them just getting driven out but there's something stationed there to keep them from getting back in mm-hmm. and the beautiful thing that we see in the New Testament is Jesus came to restore that bond with mankind and God he is the reconciliation that, that the scriptures talk about in 2 Corinthians 5 and other places as well he came to restore the bond between man so that we can walk with our God. And that is what Genesis 1 through 3 really ultimately is pointing to. That's right. Is when we've messed up, Jesus was there to fix it. And we're going to see the Bible really bookended with this picture of a garden. And man and God together in a garden with the tree of life. If you go and read the very last couple of chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, you'll see this image come back at the end of a picture of a glorious future where God and man are perfectly in harmony again. There's no more sin, there's no more uncleanness, and the tree of life is back there. Um, And man's relationships are restored both with God and with each other. All of the nations are there, um, dwelling together in peace. And it's it's a, a cool thing to see how the whole Bible story is just linked together and so many of the things that are started here in Genesis 1 through 3, we're just going to see replayed in different ways, kind of over and over again. And then Jesus will bring them all together and point forward to say, okay, there is a final fix for this um, through his suffering and death and resurrection. And we're looking forward to that day when, uh, when we're back in Eden, so to speak, uh, back in fellowship with God. Uh, permanently. That's that's what we're looking forward to. Yeah. Amen. 
So Lord willing, we're going to continue this thread. Uh, we're going to keep going through the Old Testament kind of from a, a flyover, kind of looking at it in a big picture way. And so Lord willing, we'll continue doing that next week. All right. Well, if you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, um, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. Um, we'd love to study the Bible with you. If you have questions or want to do your own overview, uh, we'd happy, be happy to do that with you. 717-585-0949. You can text or call us. Email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information and other group studies, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.